Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, we feel really, I feel really privileged to be able to speak to so many special people on this radio show um, and show, you know, people from all walks of um, generally orthodox life or with some connection to the orthodox community. Um, since our our mission at Jew in the City is, you know, to break down stereotypes about orthodox Jews, to show um, the meaning and the beauty and the relevance of orthodox Judaism. Um, we have a special guest with us today who um, has really made uh, a, a big, a bit of a worldwide sensation, I would say. I heard about him a few years ago. Um, a friend of mine, you know, knew him, knows him well, and, you know, mentioned that we should do something together. Um, and so I'm so excited to uh, introduce Nisim Black, um, a, a rapper, um, to our uh, show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. So, um, you know, I, I think um, you're pretty public about, you know, your conversion um, and sort of like, a, you know, how I, uh, I think, heard about you first, a little bit about that journey. But um, I would so love to share with our listeners a little bit about, I guess, two parts of your life, um, the, the music side of your life, you know, how you got into rapping um, and then the Jewish side of your life um, and then how the two came together. So if mm. you could start us off a little bit about. You know, where did you grow up? Where did you come from? How did you get into music or rapping, you know, for the first part of your life? Mm -hmm. yeah, so I grew up in Seattle, Washington, um, and I grew up in the Seal Park neighborhood. It was actually a Jewish neighborhood. But um, I grew up, my, now, the, the real thing was that my mother and both my father were both rappers before I was born. So it was hmm. kind of like uh, maybe maybe something, maybe genetic, maybe in the genes. But my mother used to rap, my father used to rap. Uh, when you go to some of the museums in Seattle, they have pictures and murals of my parents, as they were they're usually attributed to starting it in Seattle, Washington. So from then on, like hmm. from the from the moment I was as far back as I can remember, nobody could have told me I was not like Michael Jackson. You know what I'm saying? When I was like seven, eight years old, I was always into music. I was entertaining the family all the time, and I recorded my first professional record when I was 13 years old uh, with a producer by the name of Vitamin D. And by the time I was 15, I got my first international press. So that was like sort of the way I got into it. I started working with Vitamin D, which led to another um, another uh, local record label picking me up. And then we put out a record that actually ended up in some, some national uh, play and, and, um, and recognition. And they uh, did a write-up on me in the Murder Dog magazine, which isn't around anymore, but it was a pretty, pretty high uh, hip-hop program back in the day in magazine. But... So that was sort of like the, the the beginnings. And in terms of, I can't claim to be the biggest expert in like the rapping world, but were there mm. any, um, I guess, other, you know, super known rappers that you ever performed alongside of mm. or that you could say your style was similar to or you mm. were compared mm. to was there? Right. Back then, much more of like in the, the, the Jay-Z, Biggie, Tupac, those are like the biggest rappers back in the day, like, you know, but... As far as guys that I was close to or that I knew that I was working with, and guys like Macklemore, the scholars I spent some time also, we produced uh, records later on, produced records for Young Buck and The Game, who were both on G and Interscope uh, with Dr. Dre and 50 Cent. Um, we, we were pretty active. I performed with, you know, uh, with uh, Freeway. I don't know if you know who he is, but Nas, Nas, Nasir Jones was a big, big artist. And they said, so I've been all over the place. Mike Jones, Paul Wall, shared a lot of stages and a lot of big people. 
I recognize some of the names that you said, so I feel pretty proud of myself. Um, okay, so that's sort of the, the music. And so you really had this incredible success at a very young age. And let me right. just ask you also just in terms of um, the age of your success, because, again, I'm not a rapping uh, expert. Yeah, all this, all this happened before before 20 years old. So all of this is, that is uncommon? before 20 years old. Is that a pretty uncommon um, age to be so successful at such a young age? Yeah, it is. It is to some degree, I guess so, you know. I mean, it was very, very... Like I said, you know, in the Shimtan, you know, sort of like you, but you eat, live, and you breathe music. Like you know, in the studio all night long, and like a whole, my whole life was was towards this. So it was sort of like, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess so. Some of it paid off. It sounds like it. Now, take now take me to um, where you were. Uh, I guess as a religious person, were you always a spiritual person? Were you um, observant in another religion? Um, did you have no connection to religion at all? And then Judaism came kind of out of the blue. Like, take us through sort of the the spiritual journey of your life. Spiritual journey was my grandfather came to live with me when I was really young, about eight years old. He was a Sunni Muslim, so my first introduction to any religion was Islam. And I would pray with him five times a day. I went to the mosque with him as a, as a young boy. And um, after time, my grandfather, he was, he was always in and out of prison his whole life. And later on, he ended up going to prison on a, a probation violation. Probably was around nine years old. I just remember it was right around 1996 or something like that. I actually did it a little later. 1996, so maybe I was 11 years old. Cause I remember Tupac had died around the same time. I'm not saying he had any connection, obviously, but I'm just saying that was always the way I, uh, that was my bookmarker. So he ended up going to prison. And from that time on, anybody that asked me, I would just tell them I was a Muslim. And I wasn't so religious or practicing. There was a lot of drug trafficking and different things like that in my home growing up. So uh, the, the rest of my family was not religious at all. So it was very hard to maintain anything like this. So right around 13, I just had this major urge to like know God and to become stronger as a, as a religious person. So I had an uncle who was also Muslim. So I started talking with him and learning with him a little bit more. And he would teach me things and whatever he bought me. Uh, he bought me turbans and, and kufis and different things like that to try to like, you know, encourage me. And right around that time, my biological father, who I wasn't living in the home with, he he started, uh, he had just finished his, his time in, in ministry and in, in sem seminary, and I spoke with him about it, and he obviously is a very strong Christian, and he told me that wasn't the best way for me. To, I just found myself so confused after mm. talking to my to my father. And so I remember I was 13 years old, and I was at the edge of my bed. I fell down to my knees, and I just started crying, and I told God, I said, God, if there's a God, I want to know who you are, you know? And a couple weeks later, at the time I was in, I was in a hip hop program at a place called the Union Gospel Mission, and uh, the friends had been encouraging me to go there. I didn't know anything about whatever so much about Christianity. I went to church a couple of times when I was younger, but I, you know, I had no connection with it so much as the religion itself. And I ended up going to this place, and nobody ever mentioned anything about God. But then eventually they uh, they, they invited me to camp, and. Um, I went to camp with them. I mean, this camp was very, it was amazing. It was a missionary camp, but they, they had every everything that you could possibly have thought out. They thought it out, and it was very, very good for me at the time because a lot of other inner-city kids that were going through the same issues I was at home and everything like that, I was able to build camaraderie with and be able to discuss these issues for the first time as looking at them as like problems, you know, the way we're growing up, the drug tra trafficking and, and being in that type of lifestyle. So opened me up, at least in the heart. And so that time on, after that, I was very involved in Christianity. I became a junior missionary. 
I was uh, leading Bible study groups. I joined elite Bible study groups. I became the poster child for the Union Gospel Mission and mm-hmm. for Young Life. And so I, I was like on my way in that way. And uh, the ba- major hang-up that I had, though, that a, a part of the leadership groups, they really wanted you to be a part of a church to be very, you know, well-sound. And they, they, they just considered that at the point that you're, you're bound up to a church community, then you are really, really established. And the hardest thing for me is that I love football, and it was like no way I can devote my time to God on a Sunday when the Seahawks were playing. So it was just sort of one of those things for me. I told God every day of the week I'm yours, but Sunday it wasn't going to work. So shortly after this, I met my wife. And I'm 17 years old by this time. I met my wife during the summer. And the way that I knew that she was the one is that she went to church on Saturday. She was a seven-day Adventist. So I was like, that was the score. I was like, okay, she's the one. So I was going there, but by this time, it was everything was very fickle, and the music thing started to take off more. I got offered a contract from Virgin Records, and one of the things there is they wanted me to be more rough, and I was sending in demos to them. And slowly, this thing started to wane as far as from a religious standpoint and spirituality, and I found myself kind of like at a crossroads of, you know, of, 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 I ended up in a situation where it could lead to me having to take someone else's life and then taking my life. And after I was out of that situation, I was, you know, by this time wait, I was 20 Nikki, years wait, old. Wait, can you just clarify? You're saying because of the danger in sort of the rapping world? Is that what you are yeah, referring to? Yeah, it was a danger in the rapping world. I got into a rap beef with another guy, and another friend of mine tried to tried to kill the person, and he missed. Yeah. And so after that, they were going to come after me. And it was either me go after them or they come after me. And after praying and crying, all of a sudden I got real religious again. And imagine that after crying and praying, I got a phone call from, from the other guys, and they wanted to squash everything. So we did, and I also do, and they want to live that type of lifestyle. Because those things start to come out of a person. When, you, when you're when really on the inside of who you are, when a person is faced with so much pressure in a, in, in a dangerous situation, you begin to see how you react to it, and it shows you the real you. And I think for me, I was really more soft on the inside. I wasn't that type of person. So after I got off the phone with that person, I, I just sat in my living room for days, and I was praying and crying and praying and praying, crying out to God. And in the midst of that, I started to ask God for the truth. What's the truth? Why do I believe what I believe? The questions that I had when I was in the in the youth groups, in the Bible study groups, they started to come up again. And after that, I had nobody to ask, obviously, to give me any answers. So I went to Rabbi Google. I started typing in everything. Next thing you know, I started ordering JPS to knock. Because I started to dig up Christianity, I think, much more so from the root, trying to figure out how things got the way they were. If JC is Jewish, why are Christians not Jewish? This whole type of thing there. Very, very serious questions. And then so I ended up after that in the Messianic world for about two years, the Jews for JC. Can I, can I interrupt you for a second? I just have a couple of questions, like getting back to some of the earlier stuff you said before you go uh, okay, too much sorry. into the future. No I just want to clarify. Do you think, I mean, obviously your grandfather was a big influence in you getting started with Islam, um, although maybe a kid that was less open to it um, might have had the grandfather come over and say, this isn't for me. So mm-hmm. um, number one, I guess, would you say that you just maybe are a more naturally spiritual person and were more open to it? And then, yeah. or, and, or was the, the difficult life and all the drugs and the instability you were seeing, do you think that that pushed you to try to look for some sort of stability or, you know, some higher faith to hold on to through some of that craziness you went through? Very good question. I think me personally, I've always been a very, very spiritual kid. 
I remember even when I was very young, I always used to think about God or if there were conversations about God happening in circles around me, like I would gravitate towards those conversations mm-hmm. and things about spirituality. I was always really, really into that, you know, next world type of thing, beings beyond myself and beyond, you know, so I was always like that. So I think when my grandfather came, even probably even more than that, was the fact that my grandfather, like I mentioned, he spent a lot of time, he spent most of his life probably in prison, even before he ended up going the last time. But I didn't really have a relationship with him. So more than anything, it was a way for me to bond with my grandfather, who I didn't know, uh, you know, for most of my life. When he came to live with us, that was my first time meeting him ever. I didn't know him before that. I talked to him a few times from when he would call from prison or whatever, but that was my first time being able to be around him. Okay, and then my second question that I wanted to do, which I guess is really a third question, is um, what did you think of Jews um, back when you were, you know, no religion, then Muslim, then Christian, then mm-hmm. Messianic? What do you yeah. have any distinctive members of the Jewish commun- uh, memories of the Jewish community? No, no. I had no, like uh, like I said, I grew up in the neighborhood. In the neighborhood I was in, we see Jews all the time, walking up the shore on Saturday. I used to walk through a shore every, every, uh, every day to go to school. I would cut through one of the synagogues to go over to, to my uh, elementary school. And so I was in the neighborhood, but I didn't have any thoughts. I I never once had like a, it was never a discussion in our house. You know, saying if my if my parents were talking disrespectfully, you know, for instance, about they would say white people, they talking about all white people. They don't care what it was. And there was never nothing specific uh, about Jews. The only thing that I knew from Jews was what was in the Bible. And so, what about when you became a messianic? Jew, I'm saying, was there at that point right. like a, a desire to, you know, save or convert? Was that part of the mission, or was it just a Christian that believed in um, right. more of like a Jewish way of, of living? Absolutely. In the beginning, it began that way because it had a natural, natural um, um, inkling towards towards uh, converting even the whole world, right? As a missionary, that's like your whole thing. It's like you, that's like you are taught and said that this is your mission in life is to bring more people closer to, to J.C. and Christianity. So, of course, when I got into that movement, and uh, that was it. It was like the first, you know, year or whatever, the people that I was around, like the whole their whole mission was trying to prove the validity of J.C. as the Messiah and the validity of him as a, as a Jew and as an observant Jew and, and all these other things. So, yeah, very much so. But as far as like actively going out, no, I never was active. I found myself over time becoming more fascinated with Judaism proper because it, it was reflecting some of the authenticity I was at after when I was looking for God in the first place. I was really looking for an authentic relationship that came right out of Tanakh. I remember taking Tanakh and telling God, I told I told him and said, listen, I just want to learn your character, what you love, what you hate, what you know. And that, that was the only thing. I wanted to start over in a sense because what I thought was true my whole life wasn't true. Maybe it wasn't true. So let me reread it and see what God's character is. And one of the things I noticed the most, especially when I got to the Navi, was all the words of, of Manucha that he was giving to the Jewish people that for the first time I'm starting to hop. I'm realizing this, I'm outside of this, uh, this discussion here. It's not talking about the church. This is talking about we're talking about Hashem and his love for the Jewish people. So you start to develop a love for Jewish people, you know what I mean? So it's like, mm-hmm. for me, I only understand, like, every time I was in a grocery store, anywhere I went, and I seen a keeper, or I seen a whatever, as a mom, it's like, I, it, deep internally, it felt like, there goes God's people, you know? Mm-hmm. It was a very, very interesting, like, a, so, so, somewhat of a love that overtook any idea of, like, of, uh, of like, trying to missionize. And then, uh, more and more, I learned 
Then I went to a stage and realizing that hold on, no, maybe for God, for the for the Torah is this way. It's for the Jews, and and for non-Jews, it's not. And then you know, it was like a gradual way of coming to like you know, hold on, I want in, I want in. So okay, so you started developing this feeling over time, and then what? Did the idea first of like sort of first occur to you, okay, now I'm going to convert or am I going to sort of learn from the sidelines more? Like when did sort of the conception of converting uh, come to you and what did you do to, to make it happen? I think almost from the time that I started to learn and I started to see that there was such thing as a conversion that was always in my mind and in my heart. And it just was sort of like how to go about it, because at the beginning it was like, I still believe in JC. So how am I going to make this work and also be Jewish and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, so what was really huge for me is two things. My wife, who was not on board in the beginning, she thought I was crazy um, at the beginning. And eventually she came around and she started learning with me. And then her sister also started to learn with us. And her sister was married to, is, was and is, married to my best friend since kindergarten. And so after they got married, so now it's four of us, right? It was all four of us on this journey together. And I guess one day my wife came to me, like almost almost uh, two years was up at this place, and she said to me, I want an Orthodox conversion. That's what I want. So I said, think about it. I'm thinking to myself, now listen, sounds gewaldic, but uh, I don't know any black Jews. You know, so, so I think about, you know, nobody wants to be the first one to jump off the cliff. But the truth was, I don't think it was that big of a hindrance, but it was just a thought of mine always going alone. It's like, you know, they ain't black Jews, so... Hashem is an amazing way of making things. Uh, his hashkacha is amazing. I was at the store one day. I was checking out groceries. I had a keep on it, you know. And I heard all of a Shabbat Shalom, brother, you know, come from behind me. I was at a self-checkout. It was a black Jew. But I went mm. to go talk with him. He invited me for Shabbos. It was a block away from the house I grew up in my whole entire life, so to speak. And so I was back there, and after him, someone else invited us, and other people invited us. And there was a time where there was a major messianic conference that was going to happen in Seattle, and we were associated with the with the host group. And they told us before this conference that whatever we did, do not talk to the Orthodox rabbis that are in the lobby. Don't say hi to them. Don't say Shabbat Shalom. Whatever. They're only trying to take you away from JC. So we decided to go to the conference, and instead of going in, I hung out with the rabbis that was there on the couch. So they weren't so happy about it, but. I had somebody else, you know, apart from Rabbi Google, because they came to my question. So I talked with the rabbis. One of the rabbis is Michael Skoback, Jews for Judaism in Toronto. Um, and Rabbi Ellie, uh, Ellie Cohen, he's a rabbi in, uh, I think, I'm going to say in Melbourne. He's Chabad rabbi in Melbourne. So it was the two of them, and I had an amazing time with them. And after speaking with them and bouncing off all of my questions, I never went back to the place. And then from there, we started our conversion. Um, so I don't know if this is just the messages that we get. So I, I can't speak to trends, um, sort of in the world at large. Um, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I think sometimes when you see something repeatedly, it feels like it's a trend. Do you think that there is something in the African-American community that's drawn to Judaism? Again, I don't know if the numbers speak to that, but I feel like we hear from like a decent number of, um, you know, black people in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and maybe in other parts of the world that really have this. And I almost wonder, like, how come the Jews don't feel this way? Like, what's this? I'm not sure if it's mm -hmm. just some sort of, like, spiritual DNA that, you know, I don't know, from mm -hmm. Mount Sinai. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I, I do. You know, in, in addition to that, a lot of people that are actually making a lot of games uh, are becoming games. 
there are also other groups that are not, I wouldn't say, they're outside the the, the Jewish world who may have claims that they're the real Jews and different things like that. So there's a lot of different type of groups popping up with this. I'm very, very careful with it because I don't, I, I don't want at this one time, at one point, I don't want to offend anyone. At another point, I don't. So there's something to say that, okay, maybe the story of African-American slavery to some degree may mirror what's, what's happening inside of, uh, uh, of the Torah, when you see that there were, you know, for 400 years, obviously the Rebbeim tells us it was 210 years, whatever. For but African American slavery, I think officially was about 400, 460 years or something like that from the Jamestown ship. Now, I always said to people, you know, at, over over years there have been a lot of movements in the African American community trying to find out what their religion was before they before they ended up here. Now. Well, a lot of people don't know. It wasn't like people just went and grabbed people and threw them on a boat. That was not the case. In most cases, these people were already slaves, and they were already enslaved to other 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 African groups who ended up selling them, you know, to uh, to the people that came to buy them. So rather than end up selling them, and they come here, I said that usually, I said, whatever you guys are trying to restore, that's why I would tell many different groups, I said, it's a biblical fact that whether the nation is Jewish or whether they're not Jewish, let's say even in other places, Hashem called a lot of different nations to Chuva, right? And even the fact that he drew, drove out the Canaanites before, he says because they were doing abominable things in the land. But I told him, I said, Hashem usually doesn't take a group of people out away and take them into captivity or to, to, to go be slaves in another land because they were doing the right thing. Right? It's usually not the case. It's not because it's not the right thing. It's not usually. It's, it's, so you probably don't want to restore this thing. But I think that what what is happening is overall, more than anything, as the African Americans by nature are, we're very uh, spiritual people, very, very spiritual people. And I think that, you know, after being in America forever long the way and not even having a chance to read a lot of us that came from 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 descendants of slaves we have a chance to read and to the time we were able to get the Bible and to be able to work with it and sit on it for so many years, I think a lot of people are starting to try to restore you know some truth to what it is that whatever it is that they're missing and well and and, and bigger than anything since we don't have culture we don't have a uh, 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 lineage, most of us, that we could trace it back to, to be able to figure out exactly where we, where we come from. We see that inside the Torah and inside the inside the, the Bible and within Judaism, Hashem does offer at least a lineage, and you can at least have a spiritual one, you know. So I think it's, you know, what I could say is, 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 it, is it something really deeper than that? I don't really know. I don't know. I don't play with it too much in my head. My main thing is just, as many people as we can get, whether they're Christians or the Muslims, how many people they can that we can get to serve Hashem, I think the world will be a better place. So now let's move on to your, you've converted, you're part of the community. You know, I feel like part of what we do um, at Jew in the City is not just break down stereotypes about Orthodox Jews to the larger world, but also um, we want to make sure that Orthodox Jews are behaving according to the Torah and that mm-hmm. when we fall short of, you know, of what the Torah expects of us, um, it causes Chil Hashem, it causes hurt, it causes people mm-hmm. to really run away from, you know, from uh, being observant. Um, and mm-hmm. so to that to that point, to that question, I'm curious what you what you would say has been your reception um, as an African-American Orthodox Jew? Um, I, you know, I've always chosen to hang around more open-minded circles where, you know, people, you know, I think try our best to, you know, be colorblind. Although um, I have to admit that 
Um, in my mind, I accidentally um, categorized a woman that I knew from a program as a Gioris mm -hmm. because she was black. And so mm -hmm. um, I never said anything. I just sort of must have assumed that at some point. Mm -hmm. And then years later, uh, a potential black convert wanted advice. And I reached out to her and said, oh, can you give advice? And she was so upset with me that I had made that assumption. I was like, I sh I'm sure I knew. And then I realized it was my own assumption from many years earlier that was stuck in my brain. Right. And so while I right. tried to be a, you know, open-minded, colorblind person, um, even people that try make mistakes. So um, right. what has been your experience so far? And if it hasn't been perfectly positive, you know, can you offer advice or, you know, maybe ways for our right. listeners to grow? Right. So, so I can I can probably do both. The truth is, for me, we've had an amazing experience for us. Uh, one of the I think the, one of the key things is that when when we made our conversion, we were in Seattle, and Seattle, in, in general, as much as there, I'm not saying it's completely erased of all issues and racism and different things like that. There's systemic racism that people are fighting or whatever. But in general, the, the you know the average person in Seattle, which is very very moved beyond. Um, color color issues I'm saying and, and and so like the society and the place so like the Jews generally so the the, the community there was very loving very open and Shem gave us a lot of shame with the people there and, and, and I, we didn't feel it at all even since we moved there and I moved to Israel also to and I live in Meshari so I'm not uh, like in a place where it's like okay maybe they wouldn't be so bad over there even in Meshari now every once in a while there are people that have screamed out to us kushi kushi like not people but kids you know yeah. everything's like that so we have had those type of uh, experiences walking I'm walking my kids to school different things like that but we tell them you know you know what Rashi says Rashi says kushi that means beautiful so we, we we you know so it's one of those things where it's a little bit tough because you have to think about what you're going to tell the kids but in general, I haven't had that, that type of problem. We've been generally accepted every single place that we've gone to, even in Syrian communities where they're not so acceptable. Gary, at least people make this the stereotype about them from, based on whatever situation is over there. So we, it hasn't been really anywhere that we have felt like we haven't been accepted. I've only felt nothing but love on Jewish people. Now, saying that, I also over the years have become a celebrity. To some degree. So now do I know what it's like to be an African-American person that's not on everybody's YouTube channel or playlist or something like that? That I don't know. So each person can have their own different experience. But some of the people that I have been able to talk to also were not experiencing, haven't been experiencing um, racism or, or anything. They've been having similar experiences to me. But one of the biggest things I have seen as far as, like, advice is that to go into this a little bit deeper, something I took from the learning is that inside the Shulchan Aruch, we have a law about at what at what degree can you make batel b'shishim? Can you can you can you cancel something out at 160 if you drop something that's tray for you drop milk inside of a meat pot? Right? At what at what point? And what items do we talk about this? There's even a second base that talks about this. What items do we classify as being? too important chashuv to themselves and whatnot. I said this to say, I think a lot of people. Or Garen, right? They come in, right, and they're very excited. They have a love for Shem. They're very pure. They want to grow closer to God, and they want to join the Jewish people and and everything. But I think sometimes what happens to a lot of us is is that as, as you continue to go, you may become intimidated not by some of the things you don't know. 
that you don't, you know, somebody that's been a professional, business professional their whole life, or they've been very talented or something like that, and they've always been at the top of the game, to come in somewhere where you're, like, at the bottom, you don't know anything, I don't know Gamar, I don't know Halakha, I don't know any of these things. And, you know, sometimes instead of having a positive effect on a person where they say, I'm just going to be a sponge, I'm going to learn, they try to hold on to what it is that they do know and to those importance, and it may not be as important in, in Judaism, and then they feel to some degree a little rejected or that they don't fit in somewhere because they, there's this aspect of bittul that didn't come with them, the ability to completely be bittul, and I'm going to mamish be a sponge. Like, for instance, when I came to Judaism, I started learning. I gave up rap. I gave up rap. I gave up everything, everything that I knew, because I said, I'm giving myself completely to God. I don't want to know from nothing else. And slowly, Hashem gave back to me the things that were important, personalities, the things that I needed to look at to be able to be able to ultimately help and affect the Jewish people. So Hashim, I think I'm so sorry to have... cut you off. We're, we're actually out of time, and I have so many more questions for you. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I so appreciate your time, and the interview went by so quickly. Um, but you're, I'm even thinking I want to send you some more questions via email to write up in a larger article after this. Um, but okay. I, I so appreciate your time and we wish you so much haslacha on your journey and continue to mm. inspire uh, Jews all over the world. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Okay, and thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.